Father, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that we are not left to our own guesses and speculations and foolishness, Lord, when it comes to not only just the future in general, Lord, but the future of, of, of eternity, that you reveal to us life and death. You reveal to us uh, eternal life and eternal death, Lord. And, and, and Lord, you, you've also revealed how we can have eternal life. We can experience that already and, and experience that fully forever with you. But we recognize, Lord, that, that you're a God who, in your justice, Lord, also deals with sin for those who would not repent and place their faith in your Son. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what you revealed in, those, in, in that way and, and to do so in a way that would glorify you, Lord, as we discuss these things this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are talking about eschatology or this doctrine of the last things. Previously, we talked about the final judgment uh, last couple weeks. That, that we looked at that one of the most cl- one of the clearest and most emphasized doctrines throughout the New Testament is that we will all face this final judgment before God. And starting today, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the results of that final judgment. We could call the the final states or the eternal states. Uh, today and next week, we're going to look at um, the, the final state of the wicked, which is often referred to as hell, and, and Jesus would refer to it as hell. And then after that, we're going to look at the final state of the righteous, which is heaven or the new heavens and new earth. You know, and, and as we look at these concepts, especially the, the doctrine of hell, and it's, it's obviously very controversial in today's society, Right? Uh, if you've listened to um, Albert Muller's The Briefing podcast, he brought up that on January 11th of this year, the New York Times dedicated half of their editorial page to an article by David Brentley Hart, who's a theologian at the University of Notre Dame. And his article was entitled, Why Do People Believe in Hell? And the subtitle was, The Idea of Eternal Damnation Is It Biblically, Philosophically, and Morally Justified? And it, it largely comes out of his, his recent, Hart's recent book, which his book is called That All Shall Be Saved, Heaven, Hell, and Universal Salvation. So you can kind of guess what his ideas are there. And he actually doesn't just try to defend his position that ultimately everyone goes to, to some, this idea of heaven, but he, he biblically attacks the doctrine of hell and goes farther to attack anyone, particularly any, any Orthodox Christians who would actually hold to this doctrine of hell. Uh, one time he says in, in his book, quote, the whole question of hell is one whose answers should be immediately obvious to a properly functioning moral intelligence. Which means, right, that if you disagree with him, if you hold to a biblical understanding that there is uh, eternal judgment, then you don't have a functioning moral intelligence. Yeah, yeah, but but that's what I mean. He he is he is trying to. It's it's and, and I haven't read his book, and, and Mueller did a good synopsis. It's it's less about what we're going to see. His argument doesn't come from here. Here's a, a, ref, a refutation of this is not really what the Bible says. His argument is the Bible does, isn't really true. His, the Bible isn't really consistent. It doesn't really matter. And so when when you think about things like I think about things, if you believe in hell then you have no moral intelligence. So, so it's not really an argument at all. It's just a, if you don't agree with me, because there is no, there is no you know, because it just discounts the whole, the Bible as a standard of proof. Um, now, um, 
as I said, that, that I'm not going to interact with Hart very much because we just start with two different presuppositions, two different foundations. His argument is based on the Bible is inconsistent, it's untrue, and so we're just going to chuck the whole thing out, and we're going to start from, from scratch of basically Hart's ideas. So Hart is kind of rewriting his own Bible, right? Uh, the Bible of Hart, you could say. And, and, and I'm starting in this class saying the Bible's true. How do we know the Bible's true? Well, I think that there's, there's many evidences, but most importantly, uh, of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, right? And that Jesus who died and rose from the dead is, we're going to see, talked more about hell than any other author in the entire, or any other speaker in the entire Bible. Uh, there's excellent resources there. If you, if, if, if you know people that are struggling with Hart's argument, there's lots of good philosophical resources that, that actually engage not necessarily on the biblical issues, but on the philosophical issues that I think that Hart just completely ignores. But, but what we're going to do is we, I want to look, look in Scripture. And I want to look at Scripture and how Scripture <coughs> deals with this concept and, and deals with this concept in a way that, 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 um, the, 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 in a way that, that, that Christianity as a whole has wrestled with really over the last few centuries in these different conceptions of hell and what does the Scriptures actually say and prove and, and, and discuss. So uh, let's talk about this biblical depiction of hell. Let's talk about, first of all, various conceptions of hell. What, what do we mean when we talk about hell, right? You'd think that such a term that, that is, is clearly biblical would be very recognized by, by Christians, but in recent church, even Christian theologians have really tried to repackage this idea. We're not even talking about heart who just says, yeah, we're just chucking out the Bible, but people who say, oh yeah, I believe in the Bible, but we're going to kind of repackage what this word means. Um, so for instance, uh, Paul Tillich who is a, probably prototypical of a 20th century Christian liberalism. So he, he would state that hell is uh, existential, uh, oh, yeah, existential alienation. So he would say that hell is not a future state. If hell is not this end time eschatological punishment by God, he would say, as most Christian liberals would say, you have to peel away the husk of the corn to get to the kernel. The husk, the picture that the Bible does actually talk about is this future judgment. But that's not actually true. The bigger message as you peel away all the details of what it actually says to this bigger message is that we all kind of live in a hell now when you live life inauthentically. And so hell is something we experience now and we need to be freed from that so you can live this authentic experience Right? It's, it's all about this experience, of, this experience of the spiritual, right? It's very popular in Christian liberalism. So hell is not a future state. It's a current uh, battle. Uh, you find very similar, uh, very similar things in the, in the social gospel. Um, so hell is social, uh, hell is, uh, sorry, not justice. Hell is social injustice. So, um, so some of these liberal th- Christians would transform hell to say that it, it's not, again, not a future state, but anytime there's, there's injustice currently, that's actually the, the message that's going on there. Um, Karl Barth, who's a neo, uh, was a um, Christian neo-Orthodox theologian, he tries to kind of reconcile the biblical teaching of, of this eschatological hell, but he's, he's trying to look at the texts, and he's looking at these texts and saying, well... If hell is outside of God, so what he does is he's looking at the text, he's saying there is a future hell, and then he goes off on that and saying that, again, that the big picture is true, but then he's kind of rationalizing some things otherwise. So he says, if hell's outside of God, then outside of God there is nothing, and so really 
he says, quote, hell is closing up in upon itself until one ceases to exist. It's kind of, in a way, it's like the annihilation argument, but it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but, but what he's trying to do is trying to, he, he's trying to, again, oppose, here's this idea of where I want to end up, right? And I, I, I guess, I don't know, I can, I can sympathize with, with thinkers like this, right? Because I don't know if, if, if you guys, I know this is a difficult doctrine. This is a difficult teaching, Right? And, and, and so they're saying, I, it'd, be, it'd be nice to have a different teaching or a different explanation for the teaching. And so they have where they want to end up. Some just discount it altogether and say, well, that's the, 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 husk, of the cor- husk of the corn, and I want to get to the kernel of the corn, and we're just going to throw away the, what, what we don't need. And there's other like Barth who's saying, well, I, I, I want to hold on to the Bible, but I still want to end up where I want to end up. Right? And, and, that's, and that's difficult. But, um, but that's, not, that's not what the biblical evidence has. And then we see that the, um, another one, I would say these, this, this one is, it tries to deal more faithfully with the text, but I would say that there's, there's errors. And we're going to look at this more next week, um, that hell is annihilation. This is uh, made popular by many uh, recent theologians in the last hundred years. The most orthodox of these is John Stott. Uh, I'm a fan of John Stott. I love John Stott's work. I, I've recommended John Stott's work on the cross of Christ. Um, but Stott and what he does, he does try to deal with the biblical text. And we're going to look at his arguments next week because they're biblical arguments. They're not just arguments of, well, I don't really want to deal with hell, or here's what the Bible says, but I, don't want to, I kind of want to couch it differently. He really tries to deal with some biblical arguments. Um, and we'll look at more next week. So, for instance, he looks at this idea of destruction, right? That one of the, the pictures of hell that's most commonly used is this idea of destruction, the destruction of the wicked. And, and he would say, well, the word destruction means to completely destroy, to make it so it no longer exists, right? If my kids build a sandcastle on the beach and you destroy the sandcastle, the sandcastle's not there, right? The sandcastle doesn't have a soul. Yes. I, there, there, are, there, are, there are issues even linguistically of trying to, how much do you read into every use of that word especially when you're using metaphorical imagery. And that, that's going to be the, one of the problems. Um, also, Stott would argue um, is very common from the love of God, right? And the fairness of eternal hell. So he is, he's trying to take biblical texts, but the problem is we see as a lot of doctors, he's taking some biblical texts and he's reading those texts into other texts to kind of neuter those other texts. Um, and we're, so we're going to do that more next week. I, I think that Stott is a Christian, I don't think that this is a, a doctrine to say that, that he doesn't believe the gospel, but I would say that there's serious error that, that we're going to look at, at next week. That, that, that um, since, since the early church, and really as we're going to see since the biblical evidence that the, the Christian Orthodox position has been etern- that hell is eternal conscious punishment. That's the best way to sum it up. Um, if you want to put the biblical descriptions into a, a phrase, is that hell is eternal conscious punishment. <laughs> this is the biblical picture of hell. Hell is, is facing the judgment of God, the wrath of God forever for our sins. It's not about the bloodthirstiness of God who's delighting in our torment, but it's about the justice of God against man's cosmic rebellion against him. And that, that God in his love um, brings salvation and brings judgment. Yeah. So the soul mm-hmm. lives eternal whether you're good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's well, we're going to see also that the body does. Well, yeah, but I'm just talking about the, 
they're not it's not finished in hell they continue on. yeah so 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 stott stott we're gonna look at next week well, so next week i want to don't want to go too much into that okay. stott tries to make a case that um that there's judgment but the judgment is finite and at the end of that period of judgment in hell that 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 there is a annihilation that 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 person ceases to exist, um, and, and again, I, I think that there's a a he's trying to make a case with a couple pictures and reading that into. So if you're not here next, that's what he's trying to do. He's taking a couple, saying, "Well, see if we see these things this way, then that helps us to kind of explain away everything else." And it just doesn't do justice. Huh. It it's not. It's not a reason. Argument. Yeah. So that's that's not. So we're gonna we're gonna look at the idea of eternal punishment next week. Um, we're gonna look at a couple of those other ideas. But I want to start foundationally um, this week uh, with a couple other uh, other ideas. Really, the first thing is that um, hell is eschatological, right? So um, when you hear these arguments of of well, hell is is in a way that the experience we see is injustice now and the experience we see is, you know, Romans 1 saying the wrath of God is already poured out now. There are aspects of seeing really the, the almost the already, yes, the already nature of what hell's going to be like, but the not yet fulfillment of that because we see that hell is, is pictured consistently throughout the Bible is something that is not present, but that is future, that is eschatological, that is at the end. And for a lot of us, we're saying, of course it is, Right. But as we're thinking about that, that huge um, swaths of Christianity, of, of denominations, that's what they would hold, right? Is it, how do you deny hell? Well, you, 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 part of the explanation is, is that hell is, is just this existential idea applied to life now. But we see that that is clearly not what's not in the biblical text. Uh, so let's look at a couple texts. And, and I wanted to start um, in, in, in Daniel 12. Just to talk a little bit about the Old Testament and the idea of hell, um, that the, the idea of hell is not just a New Testament doctrine, but it is not fully clarified in the Old Testament. That the Old Testament does speak with imagery about the judgment of the wicked, but not as clearly, really, until Jesus clarifies as the Son of God we, that, that, that is kind of a, a progressive revelation that, that gives more clarity to what the Old Testament's giving in, in kind of vague pictures. So um, the word that's most often used in this idea in the Old Testament is sheol. And sheol is a, a term, you can, as we've used this idea before, that words can be used in different ways, right? So if you look at this Old Testament term of sheol, it also is used, we see, in different ways. There are times when Sheol is used generally for death. It's just a general term for the place of the dead. This is where when, when people who are dead are in, go to Sheol. At the same time, there are contexts where Sheol is described specifically as a place for the wicked. Uh, unlike the land of the living, the land of life, that there is this place of Sheol. So there's a, there's a spiritual life and a spiritual Sheol as well. So it's used in some different ways. So it's used, you know, it's ways, one way for death and one way for some sort of judgment. And it's used different times depending on the context. But you're saying, well, and then, and then if you look in the Old Testament, I'd say the most specific picture you have of this idea of resurrection and to life and to judgment is fleshed out um, then in Daniel 12, uh, Daniel 12, verse 2, is, it's talking about um, 
um, this future resurrection and, um, of, of, God's, or of, the, of, of, of the nation of Israel. It talks about that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to av- everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. So there is this, this dichotomy picture that there is this, resurrection, this final resurrection, this final judgment. Daniel does not elaborate a whole much. And again, a bunch. That's why we see that in the New Testament really gives this progressive revelation to further clarify what's there in the Old Testament. But we see that even the Old Testament was looking toward this eschatological end-time reality of a resurrection bringing um, uh, um, blessedness and judgment. So let's, let's go forward. Let's look at the New Testament clarification. Look at Matthew 25. I think Matthew 25, I picked. There's a lot we could go to, and we're going to look at a lot later. But I want to look at Matthew 25 in particular. So the Old Testament gives some of these kind of shadowy, vague pictures of this, 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 this um, heaven and hell. But, um, but Jesus, as the Son of God, really clarifies this, really articulates this, really explains further this, this idea. In fact, as it's often been stated, that no one taught more about hell and all the Bible than Jesus. It, it, you can't just, I mean, it, it's funny that some of the, the, the quote-unquote red-letter Christians are the ones who also are, are denying things like hell because Jesus is the one who taught more about hell than anyone else. Um, Jesus believed in hell. Jesus taught specifics about hell. To believe in Jesus is, is to believe what he says about hell. So, so let's, let's read here. I want to read a section that's out of the, the discourse, the, the, his discussion on the Mount of Olives about the things to come, about the end times. <coughs> Starting in 25, I'm going to start in verse 31, uh, where it says, when the Son of Man comes, so in the future, right? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people uh, one from another as a shepherd separate, separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So a couple things to notice from this, just to, to step, take a step back first. Um, is this a description of present hell, like Tillich and, and, and um, Rosenbuch? Yeah. No, right? This is, this is clearly eschatological. This is clearly talking about an end times picture of hell. hell. First of all, we see the context of the Olivet Discourse, the, 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 the discussion of the Mount of Olives, Jesus talking about the things that are to come. More importantly, we see in verse 31, talks about when the Son of Man comes in his glory and sits on his throne. 
Not yet, right? Has not, has not happened yet. So we see that, see, we see that, that, that eschatological aspect. But just to, to set, set the stage where we're going next, what kind of, look at the imagery that's used here, right? First of all, notice that Jesus is using language of metaphor, language of imagery. This is, this is different than, than other types of teaching. We clearly see that he is using figurative language. Why? Sheep and goats, right? We are not literally sheep and goats. If you want to go literal by the sense of not figurative, right? So he is literally using figurative language, as you could say. He, he is intentionally using figurative language here. Now, does that lessen the, the, the main point, right? Why do we use figurative language? Why, when, when you're saying to someone, hey, I need you to come over to my house, uh, I need you to lift something that's 235 pounds, why would you not say that? Why would you say, I need you to come over to my house and I need you to lift something that, 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 that is like a ton, that weighs like a ton? Well, it doesn't weigh a ton, right? It weighs 235 pounds. Why would you say that? It, 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 it actually communicates greater heaviness than even just 235 pounds. It, it's emphasized, it's, it's bringing greater emphasis, right? We, yeah, there you go. <laughs> We are, we are, we don't use imagery to lessen the point. We use imagery to enhance the point. So, huh? It's like an exclamation. Yes, it's like an exclamation. So when we look at these things, there's not the sense of, oh, Jesus is using imagery so we can kind of just water down what he's saying. No, he's using imagery to, to bring an emphasis to say, to really emphasize, emphasize these points that he's making, right? To, to emphasize this point that there is a coming judgment. To emphasize the point that, that our lives now determine our eternity and either eternal punishment or eternal life. And, and notice that, 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 that there's this language that he uses then. Verse 41, first of all, um, he, he talks about uh, to the eternal fire. So just a, it's just a setup for next week. This, this language of eternity. Jesus uses a lot of this language of eternity when speaking of hell. And, and also you, that language of fire. Maybe there might be actual flames in the sense of um, you know, something burning, but Jesus loves fire imagery, yeah. Gehenna. Gehenna imagery, which we're going to look about this this Gehenna imagery when speaking about uh, the eternal, the, the final state of the wicked, and, and I think the emphasis is not to think about the, the you know the emphasis is not to think about necessarily just a flame. The emphasis is to think about what fire is representing. And this is this is emphatic language, I think here. And again, I don't want to discount that there isn't there isn't actual flame, but that that this flame is 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 meant to bring this imagery of judgment, this imagery of torment. Right, and then also notice it's just because I, I, I don't know where else to put this and put this here. Notice who hell was created for, right? Who was hell created for? The devil. devil and his angels, right? And so that that was who hell was created for, and then also then we see for all those who would follow in in, in that rebellion. Uh, and then again in verse forty six, we see this eternal punishment in contrast to eternal life. So as eternal as life is is the eternal as punishment. So we see this contrast that Jesus is, is giving there. Um, let me see. Life of joy. Yeah, yeah. He just told the parable 
Yep. Challenge. Yep. Exactly. It says enter into the joy. Yeah. Exactly. Lord. Yeah. So I feel like I know enough to say eternal punishment. Yeah. I don't know all the details. But yeah. Bad. Yeah. I know that much. Yeah. Or eternal joy. Yeah. There. I can't remember. There's one. There's one theologian that says that, that took a lot. Looked at a lot of that contrast. And saying that, that, that the scripture, especially Jesus, tends to contrast the two a lot. Yeah. In the sense of hell is, is, is really, as you look as glorious and joyful as heaven is on one end, that hell is contrasted on the other. Those are set in balance and set in contrast a lot in, in, in those descriptions. And so we don't, see, we don't see a lot of necessarily details, right? We don't, we don't see C.S. Lewis' The Great Divorce, as an interesting book it is. We, we don't see it fleshed out because we see this idea of imagery, we see this imagery of these ideas of as glorious as heaven is, 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 um, is awful, as is, is hell, as we in, in fire and, and, and where the worm does not die, and these, these sort of imageries that we're seeing here. Um, I want to skip 2 Thessalonians actually for time's sake. Let's, let's move on. I think that, that that point, I think we're all there. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll look. I think uh, I think we'll look at Revelation. I can't really look at Revelation this week or next week. But Revelation really emphasizes a, a this post resurrection aspect that that as we as we as we rebel, body and and uh, outer man and inner man, in the same way that there is judgment, outer man and inner man. So that there's a uh, um, and again that 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 resurrection is pictured resurrection unto life and resurrection unto death pictured from Daniel all the way through Revelation. And so, so we see that, at least in the final state. In the intermediate state, there's just not a clarification that there is some sort of, of, of judgment, but, but how, how, resurrection, how uh, physical it, it fits is not, not so described. Is, um, so all these passages, and even in Revelation, it looks like after judgment, yeah. the devil is yeah. thrown into like fire yeah. along with other people. Yeah. So is there a temporary... Yeah. So in the same way that we don't have a lot, we have, we have little, little snapshots of, I want to, see, I want to call it heaven because it's not really heaven, but a, 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 that believers immediately go to the presence of the Lord. That we, have, we have snapshots of it. It's never really called heaven, but it's, it's called it being with the Lord, right? So there is this immediate bliss and joy right now, believers being in the Lord, there are, there are, there are brief snapshots of an intermediate state as well for judgment, um, but not flushed out. I think Luke 16 is the closest we get, and that's a parable, right? It's not clear whether hell is after the judgment. I think that, that that's why I'm emphasizing there's an aspect of the, the final state that is very clear. What we see is that before the final state, that there is judgment, and there are aspects of a already not yet of that, right? There's already, there's already bliss for those that are going to be in the eternal state of bliss. There's already judgment for those that are going to be in the eternal state of judgment. And yet it's not fully described as to how, what details are different or how that works out. It's just not described. The, the aspect of it's there, but it's not fully described. In the same way, in the sense of we don't see a lot of passages talking about heaven as um, right now, right? We know it's there. We know that absent with the body to be home with the Lord. Uh, you know, Jesus said, "Say you'll be with, with me in paradise." Um, but Eli- when Elias covered this a while back, there's not a lot, um, and, and it gives the, the vague concept that almost is a taste of the final picture, but it's, it's not it's not fully flushed out for us. Does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's a little confusing. It's been to me because of 
you see pictures of a judgment. Like yes. here, it's talking about judgment. Yeah. It is much more clear that the, the aspect of the final state, the final judgment, and then the final states is is so much more clear. Um, so, so the best we can do is say there is there is a intermediate state of of joy and an intermediate state of judgment. Um, there's probably some consistency, right? But then once you're doing that, you're starting going that there, there's some logic. So we just have to say there is an intermediate state of, of, of joy, of, of joy and, and of heavenly bliss right now. We don't have a whole – understand what does that mean? And, and, and we're going to – and we try to read into that, describe it. We're going to be describing more than what scripture has. We can say, well, here's what we know what this eternal state is. And so there's probably a lot of overlap there. But, but there, there's there, – you know, and we have to do the same thing with, with judgment as well. So we can't say that after death immediately – no, not the lake of fire. But we do see that there's, the, especially as I said, Luke 16 is the clearest that there is, in the same way, an intermediate state of 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 joy and of, of heavenly joy. There is an intermediate state of of, of conscious torment. And so, yeah, I mean the torment. Just think about a condemned man who has no no uh, options left for having it change. You know, you know, you're going there. I mean, that's almost as bad as being there. It's like it's no, yeah, and the same thing. It's, it's like heaven, we know we're going there. It's almost as good, but not quite. Yeah. Same way as going to hell. I think would be torment, knowing. Yeah. Let's let's. I want to move on to this point and, and get through some of this here. We may not get through all of them. Uh, let's start looking. Let's start in Matthew and just look at a couple of these passages and just look at the imagery that Jesus uses to describe. And this imagery, again, image, imagery language is used for emphasis of the point of the of the point of this. And the point over and over is this picture of conscious punishment. Um, Matthew eight twelve. Jesus says, While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? What kind of imagery is used there? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, misery. Right? And weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. Right? Um, how, is there, how is there a place of both fire and darkness? Uh, again, it's, it's, image, it's imagery of torment, of punishment, right? right? Um, and it's conscious. What is conscious about that? Weeping, gnashing of teeth, right? That there's a, there's a consciousness of this. Sons of the kingdom? Yeah, it's, it's talking about, um, he's, he's, he's speaking towards, towards the Jews, Right, that there's going to be that there's a, there's a uh, that there are some that are going to it's because in the context of the centurion, this Gentile centurion, he's going to be in the kingdom. He's coming into to, to Christ's kingdom when there are those who are the sons of the kingdom of the sons, you know, um, sons of Israel who will not be there. So uh, we looked at Matthew 25 earlier. As Vic pointed out, it's interesting that 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 whole section, including the parable of the talents. I, I, I mean, I was I was shocked that several years ago when I was just going through. That the parable of talents is about heaven and hell. It's not about, you know, oh, be good in school, and if you work hard at school, that you're gonna, you know, God's gonna trust you with some more things. I'd, you know, maybe there's some implications, but primarily, it's about the person who is unfaithful, the person who does not see God, the Master, as as He is, and is unfaithful because of that. He ends up in hell, right? So this is that's it's, it's amazing that, that that the fruit of our lives is distinguishable from our salvation, but it's inseparable, right? Over and over again, we see that. Um, turn over to, to, and again, we see weeping and gnashing of teeth, this, this uh, consciousness, this imagery of, of, of darkness and punishment and torment and weeping, uh, of, of language of fire, um, of, 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 of punishment there. Look, turn over to Mark. 
And, and Mark is one of, um, one of the most detailed image, images we see here. <coughs> uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48. Let me read that for us. Where, G- where Jesus says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to go with two hands into hell. And, and you might have a little uh, footnote there, the, the words Gehenna. Uh, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell, to Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it is better you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, so we see this, again, this, this conscious torment, unquenchable fire, right? Um, and, and then this, this is where this word hell, right? This word hell comes from the word Gehenna. Gehenna was the, the, the valley that's south of Jerusalem where the ancient Israelites, they worshiped the Canaanite god Molech. They even would sacrifice their children to them there. And so um, after the, the, the idolatry was, was brought down, um, it became an unclean place uh, for Jerusalem. So it was used for typically for burning trash from the city of Jerusalem. So it's a places where they'd burn, especially unclean things. They'd burn the corpses of criminal, criminals. They'd burn dead animals. They'd burn all manners of refuge that were thrown out to be destroyed. Uh, it's this picture of where the fires of Jerusalem's refuse dumps were continually burning this, this sewage and this flesh and this garbage. That's the picture that Jesus is drawing on when he talks about hell. It's, 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 that's the picture that when Jesus wants to, to talk about hell, he's using an imagery of that picture. And then he actually refers then to this picture that's similarly used in Isaiah 66, 24. That picture of worms is directly taken out of Isaiah 66, where Isaiah speaks about that those, that, that um, God's bringing punishment on those who rebel against God. And his pictures of these dead bodies of God's enemies that are being envisioned as decomposing and burning in the battlefield and being consumed by worms. That's the picture of judgment that Isaiah is giving, this, this imagery of judgment. And again, this imagery is, I, I just, at least for me, I want to be careful how much I read into the imagery because sometimes then you, you miss the emphasis of the imagery. The emphasis is just the, basically Jesus is taking the most horrible um, picture that he can imagine and, and that's what he's using as his description, right? Is this, is this idea of Gehenna and then referred to it and linking there to, to Isaiah 66. Um, and, and that's where we have the idea of, of hell. Um, you also see the, the word Hades used in the New Testament. Hades is similar to Sheol in the Old Testament, where sometimes Hades is just generally death. Sometimes both the righteous and the unrighteous go to Hades. And there are other times that Hades can be used, like Sheol, in a context for the wicked. But we see that hell, this Gehenna language, is only used um, in, in terms of speaking towards this, this description of judgment, description of judgment for um, is, is conscious punishment. Um, all right, let's look at two more passages real quick, and then we're going to have to start wrapping up here. Luke 16. I wish we had a little bit more time for Luke 16, um, but it is, that's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, so we want to be a little careful in the sense of it's a parable, Right? And you don't want to read too much into a parable. But he, he is given this parable as, as, as one, you know, one of the, the pictures that, that we have um, in this a- aspect of hell. And a picture to answer Dave's question earlier. This is talking before the final judgment. 
how much we want to read into this, you have to be careful. But we, the main point is that there is judgment and that there is aspects of the judgment he's kind of emphasizing here. Usually the points of the parable are found in the introduction, the conclusion, and the main dialogue. That, that tends to be the focus. So as we look at those, there are teachings that Jesus is emphasizing about the nature of this judgment. We see that, that are being emphasized you know, about this. And, and, and so we see that, and this is all present in, in before, the, before the, the final judgment, before um, the, the lake of fire. And so um, let me read this real quick. Uh, verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who was feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, there laid a poor man named Lazarus right? The, the rich man's unnamed. Lazarus is named. He is known to God, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with all what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried to the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, so place the dead, but we're seeing this place the dead being used as judgment, being in torment, that torment language, right? Actually using the word torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am anguished in the flame. Again, uh, the, 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 the emphasis there is this imagery of anguish, right? Um, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. That's the contrast that's being given, comfort and anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that, that who would pass from here may not be able and none may cross from there to us. There's comfort and there's anguish and, and, it's, and it's final. And it's, it's, a, it's a final set. There's, there is no crossing over. But Abraham said, uh, oh no, sorry. Uh, but he said, I beg you, Father, uh, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that they may warn them. He may warn them lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have most of the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And he just said to them, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So we see, again, this picture of, of um, torment, of anguish, this picture of consciousness, right? I mean, maybe the biggest picture of consciousness in this, this aspect. And then also, as we're going to see for, for next week, there's a picture of finality here. Um, so I'm just stacking up the evidence, right? And, and again, this is probably not new for anyone here, but just so we see, this is not just one proof verse. Over and over and over again, all of these so far from the teaching of Jesus has emphasized the, the conscious punishment of hell. Also, the eternality of hell, the finality of hell, um, over and over and over again, as we see consistently through Jesus' teaching. Um, let's look at one more real quick, and then I'll, I want to wrap some things up for this week. Look, to, look over to Revelation Uh, we'll, we'll look at 14, I think, um, just for now. Uh, 14, verse 9 says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he, will also, he, uh, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Um, I, I think that's one of the, the, the clearest picture of consciousness, 
right? Day and night. They have no rest. This is not some idea of soul sleep, um, not, again, not an idea of annihilation, but there's a, conscious, there's a consciousness. That, that as they consciously rebelled against the God of the universe, there is conscious judgment for, for that rebellion. So there's this clear biblical picture emphasized most, most of all by Jesus of hell as conscious punishment. Which we're going to see next week more eternal punishment, final punishment, uh, finality of it, but it's under the wrath of God for our sin. And, and, and so we're going to talk a little more next week. I want to leave a couple minutes. You know, we're going to talk next week as far as uh, the finality and the eternality and uh, are there degrees of punishment. But for now, I, I kind of wanted to not just end um, and just say, you know, to be continued next week. But, um, but just to say, how do we think about this doctrine? How do we think? Yeah, that. I think in what way? Yeah. Put a sword there so that he wouldn't live forever. He yeah. Could have lived forever without the spirit of God dwelling within him. Yeah. And that was that was merciful. Yeah. Um, we don't. I mean, I've sinned a lot. Yeah. And I've never once thought any of my sins were really worthy of death. Yeah. I thought they deserved perhaps some some harsh punishments yeah. and, and things like that, and and you know, um, you know, maybe some spankings, a couple groundings. Yeah. But but that that should be the end of it. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, you know, and I don't think that personally I have a full understanding of the weight and gravity. Yeah. I know that Christ died for my sins. Yeah. But that's because I've told that. It's not yeah. because I think it's death. Mm. And what if a person were to go on sinning yeah. forever? Yeah. Um, how heinous would that be to that person? Yeah. To be able to, well, live, I- to live in that in that state yeah. of of, of ability to sin, I, I see it as an act of mercy of God in one sense that, that hey, we may not like that idea of, yeah. of hell and that concept of it, but truly it would still be an act of mercy yeah. to God. Yeah, and I, and I think that we the things that we understand that make the world now, not the new heavens and new earth, is a reminder of what sin does. And so, that, so I think that there's an aspect of mercy that God shows his mercy and God shows his grace by judging sin. I think that that is true. I also think that one of the aspects of, of arguments, one of the best arguments for the eternality of hell is the aspect of that outside of regeneration and, and sanctification and glorification, that they will sin forever. So it is not a, a partial, that there, that there is a continuing of sin, so there's a continuing of judgment. So I think that there are some arguments there. But yeah, I think that one of the aspects of, of outs, one of the things that is emphasized in the end of Revelation of what makes the new heavens and the earth truly the new heavens, new earth, is the absence of sin, that all sin is judged and, and, and finalized. Yeah. But, but I, I, I do want to end in just saying, how do we think about this doctrine? How do we think about what is a hard teaching, obviously conflicting culturally and, and at times emotionally? Um, and, and I think that, that there is an aspect, I, I'm going to talk about this more next week in a different aspect, but I want to talk this week of there is a right response to go, this is a hard doctrine. I, I look throughout scripture. Romans 9 talks about Paul thinking about the lostness of the Jewish people and he talks about how he's in anguish for them. So there's a right response of, anguish over those who are lost and outside of the repentance and turning to Christ are destined for hell. God tells himself of his sorrow over the death of the wicked in Ezekiel 33, 11. Jesus shows his sorrow as he cries over Jerusalem. And so there's something, there's a, there's a reason 
I think to, to, if you look at hell and you don't feel a weightiness and an anguish, I think that's actually not looking at it with the right biblical lens. That, that as we understand that people are made in the image of God and that they are worthy of dignity and respect, that people don't even under, believe the Bible and that there's still something inherently that, that, that they understand about that, it should cause agony and sorrow thinking about the destiny of those who have not repented and turned to Christ. So, but the answer then... The answer then is not, like we looked at the at heart at the beginning, to then throw out God's revelation. Because the same revelation that teaches us about the dignity of, of people that made in the image of God, the same revelation that teaches us about the love of God and the graciousness of God is the same, same teaching that teaches us about the justice of God and the absolute righteousness of God who, 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 who sends people to hell in judgment for their sin. And, 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 and the same God who's done that has given us the answer for hell. I think that's what's overlooked, is that, that we, we not only know the doctrine of hell, but we have the answer for hell in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? In, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in the divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we have the answer for that, that there's a right agony, but there's a right motivation, that we have the answer that God has provided in Christ. As we, you know, man, with, uh, as we sing so often in Christ alone, we sing as the closing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. I'm going to pray for us and we'll head into the service. And then next week we're going to jump back in and we're going to look at some other aspects uh, of this doctrine as well. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that, that your grace is magnified when we understand your justice. We understand that the hell is actually what we ourselves deserve as sinners. Lord, it's not something we would come to by our own speculation, but it is what you have revealed to us that we have rebelled against you. And thus, we, we deserve eternity in hell. But Lord, that magnifies your grace that you would send your son to die for us, that you would open our eyes, that we would receive the, the, the regeneration and the justification and the, and, and the benefits and blessings of, of salvation in Christ. So Father, we pray that, that this would cause us to glorify and magnify and delight in you and in your son and his gospel that this would cause us, Lord, to, to motivate us towards love for, for our, our neighbors, Lord, and, and desire that they would be able to hear the gospel as well, that they may know life as well. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.